0: We're carrying on our series in Joshua, who's going to preach to us. Um, If you've got a church Bible, we're Joshua chapter 5, page 219. I think we're all out of Bibles, is that right, Sophie? Yeah, I think we are. So um, uh, make do with uh, either one of the church ones, hopefully you brought your own. Um, We're going to read chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath and Haraloth. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were of military age, when they left Egypt, had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way, and after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites but that year they ate
1: the produce of Canaan. Wonderful, thanks very much. Johnny, Let lit my
2: my welcome to Johnny's. Um, great to see you here, some new faces, some old faces. Um, just in your, in your handouts, um, you will have three points. We're actually just gonna look at two. We'll, the, the, next, the end, the last couple of verses of chapter five, um, we'll look at next week uh, as we head into Jericho. Why don't I pray for the Lord's help? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word, precious beyond measure. Lord, you describe it as sweet to the taste, and yet we know at times there are things that we find um, confusing, things that we find hard. We pray that as we listen to your word now, that your spirit would, would help us to taste the sweetness of your word and its goodness, and that you would. Refresh our hearts and point us anew to your son, the
1: Lord Jesus. In his name, amen. Well, history is um, full of
2: surprise tactics, isn't it? Um, Here's a a couple for you. Maybe the most famous one, um, the old Trojan horse uh, containing the the hidden Greek warriors waiting for the moment to, to launch a surprise attack. Um, another one is called the Battle of Trenton, 1776. Um, George Washington's army, they were kind of reduced to bare rations and low numbers, backed into a corner across the River Delaware, uh, and what they do in a courageous attempt, they, they cross the frozen river on Christmas night in 1776. It's a, an option no one's expecting, and they, they surprise at the garrison and, and, and make, a, make a way out. Or maybe um, Germany's invasion of France in World War II. Um, France were convinced that uh, along the kind of border with Germany, uh, they had this thing called the Maginot Line. Uh, it was sort of a 280-mile-long system of bunkers, tunnels, and fortifications. This is sort of inside view. Uh, they were convinced, you know, that they're, they're never going to cross the Maginot Line. But what did they do? They went round it. They went round it. Surprise tactics uh, are, are all across history. But how do you think the people prepared for, for each of these kind of ambushes? Well, chapter five, we see that God's people are on the ascendancy here in Joshua. Uh, verse one, have a look down. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast, that's pretty much... The opposite ends of where all the kings would have been when they heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they'd crossed over their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites kings from east to west are petrified they have no spirit left within them this is the moment to strike isn't it go while your enemy is down and confused. But God speaks to them and gives them a very surprising tactic. Verse 2 At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. It is very surprising, isn't it? Humanly speaking, this seems to make as much sense as shooting yourself in the foot on the eve of battle. Circumcising thousands of fully grown men is hardly the kind of thing that they would teach you to do in battle school. It's not the kind of training montage that you get in a, in a war film. And, and not only that, but once they've been circumcised, they stay put. And in verse 10 to 12, they, they have a meal. They have supper. They celebrate the Passover wonder how the Israelites were feeling when they got those instructions. Not just the, the men, but, but just, you know, this doesn't seem a good tactic. Has Joshua gone mad? What is the Lord saying? We're going to lose the element of surprise. But the irony is, however this tactic might seem, it is the very best preparation they can do for everything that lies ahead. Chapter kind of 5 through to 12, uh, we, we start to see them getting ready and, and taking the land. And this is the first thing that they do. It is the best preparation they could do for all that is ahead. Remember, since way back in chapter 1, we've seen success. It's not about their ingenuity. It's about their obedience. Their trust in God's promises and doing what he says. So before they can even think about taking a sword out of its sheath and kind of getting their shields ready, he wants them to know, no, the way on in the land is exactly the same as the way in. Trust and obedience. Knowing who they are and knowing who he is. The way on in the land is the same as the way in. Now, God isn't calling us to conquer a physical piece of land today. This is a one-off thing in history, their task. But he has called us to play a part in his purposes in the world, cultivating it, bringing to fruition all that he has made, sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus. And so we need to know the same thing, that the way on in the Christian life is the same as the way in trust and obedience knowing who we are to the lord and knowing who he is Joshua's time and his task are different but the pattern is the same the way on is the same as the way in but to understand how that how that works we need to kind of get under the bonnet of these two things don't we these two surprise tactics so let's have a look at the first one our first point remember your covenant relationship through a sign Remember your covenant relationship through a sign. Way back from the time of Abraham, uh, back in Genesis chapter 11, we see that faithful Israelites, they were to express the seriousness of their relationship with God by circumcising every eight-day-old male. It was an, an outward sign, but it was always meant to be an outward sign of a heart committed to To keeping covenant with the Lord, a sign that they belonged and they were living an obedient life. And in theory, there shouldn't be such a thing as an uncircumcised Israelite man. It shouldn't shouldn't exist. It's not a category. But here in Joshua 5, we see that the topic of circumcision leads to a problem and a privilege. Let's have a look at the problem. The problem is that all of the ones who came out of Egypt, apart from Joshua and Caleb, we assume, they are all dead. And in verse four, do you see, everyone that left Egypt was circumcised. Verse six tells us, the Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. All of the circumcised men have died. Why? Why? Well, verse 6 carries on, for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Why did they die? Well, did you spot there were two promises in the end of verse 6? we One that happened a long time ago and one more recent, that God made a solemn promise to their ancestors. That's from way back to Abraham through to Moses, that promise was to bless his people with a land to live in. It was a land that was going to be like a new Eden, a wilderness to be transformed into a garden. And so they make their journey. They leave Egypt and they're on the way. But along the way, God makes another promise to a particular generation of people
1: that these people would not see the fruits of that promise. Why? Well, if we were to flick
2: back to Numbers 13 and 14, we we see the the spies that are sent into the land and they come back. And this generation, they do not believe in God's promise. They don't believe that God is able to bring them into the land. In fact, no, they, they plan to go back. They want to be unrescued. They throw God's rescue in his face.
1: And so God responded He said that he would let that generation die out before they saw the promised land.
2: Now do these two promises, do they contradict each other? Does the new one negate the old one? It might seem that way on initial reading. But Yahweh's, the Lord's promise of the land, it still stands. These guys that we're seeing here going over the river, they are going in. The promise is being fulfilled. No, this generation, they have forfeited their promise by not believing it. Because to enjoy God's promises, we must believe them. We must seize them. Their unbelief, it couldn't stop God's promise happening, but it did mean that this former generation forfeited that blessing. And it was a warning that Israel were to remember for all of their history. Johnny read Psalm 95 at the beginning Psalm 95 calls all of Israel back hundreds of years later to that incident and says don't be like them do not harden your hearts cling to the lord's good promises even as we go through to the new testament hebrews picks it up he says to us now make every effort to enter at that rest picture of the of the land so that no one will perish by following their example disobedience so we have a a problem they didn't enjoy God's promises by believing them and they perished the sign that they had on the outside of circumcision didn't match the, the attitude of their hearts but that's not all although there shouldn't be such a thing as an uncircumcised Israelite man here we have an awful lot of them don't we Verse five and seven talks about this new generation who'd crossed through the Jordan, those who were obedient and trusting in the Lord, and says that they had not been circumcised along the way. This is something that needs putting right. As they go into the land, what's gonna set them apart from the nations? Well, it is their covenant relationship with the Lord. And and how do they know that? How, How are they reminded of that? Well, what they believe in their hearts is supposed to be symbolized in an outward sign on their bodies. Now, speaking as a man in his mid-30s, this is no small task to ask a generation of men in their mid-30s to do. But they go ahead with it. Verse 8, And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. But they don't just go ahead with it because it is a problem to be solved. It is something they're called to do, but it is also a huge privilege. This covenant sign told them who they belonged to. It told them the promises that they were to inherit. Verse 9, do you see, tells us that now the reproach of Egypt was rolled away. For years, they've been going around the wilderness and a little bit like a bullied child, Egypt and the other nations have mocked Israel and their God. He's not delivered you. It doesn't look like you're going anywhere. You're just going around like a headless chicken. As the years went on, you can imagine them feeling crushed by the weight of those words. Maybe that led to doubt. Maybe that led to disbelief. But as they go into the land and they renew this sign this covenant sign this renewed faith is a sign that 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 reproach has been lifted off them no god hasn't left them wandering. he has brought them through exactly how he brought them out their god has delivered and this new generation have seen his mighty deeds and they know the privilege of belonging clinging to his promises it's not just a problem to be sold. it is a privilege, the best thing that they could take into the land now. It's not spears or swords or shields, but a renewed reminder of who they are and who their god is. It's a little bit like um, perhaps a, a couple who have not been wearing their wedding rings for years, deciding to put them back on, that the ring isn't what makes you married. I could take this off, I can have a go. I'm I'm not less married to Sophie now because I've taken the ring off. But the ring is a sign of that reality. And with it comes a reminder of the promises and the security that is within it.
1: It's a little bit similar with the sign here. Now, we're not going into a physical battle but we
2: are serving the Lord uh, and that has battles of its own. And we, We're in a different time and that means a different sign. Under the old covenant, God's people were circumcised. Well, what is the sign for us now to show us that we belong, to give us encouragement? One well, of the new covenant that Christ has brought about, we are baptised. All the men give an inward sigh of relief. Just like in theory, though, that there shouldn't be such a thing as an uncircumcised Israelite, according to the New Testament, there isn't such a thing as an unbaptized believer. Jesus assumes that that is what will happen when he makes the Great Commission. Let me just read it to you, the end of Matthew 28. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit
1: and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. According to the New Testament, there isn't such a
2: thing as a baptized, unbaptized believer or, or at least someone who is on their way. It is, it is something that we are commanded to to do. Now, it isn't what makes you a Christian any more than being circumcised, made them a faithful Israelite, or wearing a wedding ring makes me married. But it is an outward sign that is appropriate, that shows what we inwardly believe. And the two should go together. And it's a different sign because it points to the history of God's people. They are saved through the waters of judgment, at the flood at the Exodus, at the crossing of the Jordan, and finally, in Jesus' death and resurrection. And when we are baptised and go under the water and come up again, we step into that history. It becomes ours, a picture of our dying with Christ and being raised with him to new life. So if that is what you believe in your heart this morning, there's no reason why you can't be baptised. Uh, there's no reason to put it off if you haven't been baptised yet. It is not for the super-Christian any more than it was for the super-Israelite. It's for everyone who puts their trust in Christ to save them from their sins and restore them to new life. But just as an aside, it has become, certainly I experience this, much more normal to wait quite a long time before you get baptised to have many, many years to to put it off until you sort of feel more ready. But that's not the pattern that we tend to see in the Bible. Baptism isn't for the super-Christian. It's for every Christian. The bar is low. All you have to be is a sinner who knows they need Jesus and wants to follow him. So if that's you and you haven't been baptized, can I ask, what is holding you back? And we would... Love to baptize you here at Redeemer. So if that's something you're thinking about, please come and chat to me. Come and chat to Johnny. But if you have been baptized, then can I ask, how often do you look back to that sign? That is a sign that God has given us. It is a precious thing. How often do you look back to it? It's supposed to point us somewhere. It's a gift to encourage and strengthen our faith and obedience. So can I ask you, look back to your baptism right now. When when was it in your minds, if that is you? Me, I think it was September 2007. Can't remember the date. But look to the sign that God gave you. And know, as surely as water would have drowned you, that you have been crucified with Christ. Know, as surely as you come up out of the water and would gasp for breath like a baby filling their air, their lungs with air for the first time, you are raised to life.
1: As sure as you have been got wet, you are washed clean from your sins and forgiven. We face an eternity of joyful communion with the Lord.
2: Let's go back to the picture of a wedding ring. If you take a wedding ring off or don't wear one, it doesn't make you less married than you are, but it can remove something precious. Precious when things are going well, a reminder uh, that as husband and wife you belong to each other, but also precious when things are really hard, a reminder of the, the commitment, the promises
1: that you have made. And our baptism is something we should look back to for the same reasons. Thankfulness,
2: that God's faithfulness to us for all he has blessed us with, but also thoughtfulness when we may be really struggling to follow the Lord. Look back and remember who you are. Remember the promises that God has made to you. Let it remind you of that commitment that we just read at the end of Matthew, that we bear his name. We're baptised in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That is who you are. You belong to him. I uh, imagine some of you, along with me, would have grown up watching the Toy Story films. Um, what keeps them going when, when these toys are kind of off and, and stranded in difficult situations is they have a look on their foot and they see the name Andy is written there. That is, that is their kid. Every toy has a kid and that is who they live for. They belong to him. Uh, but at the end, I, I'm not really counting Toy Story 4, sorry for fans of that. At the end of Toy Story 3, Andy... He he hands them over to a new owner, and it's very emotional. But he hands them over, and something of the the pain of of not belonging anymore to Andy, It's, it's, it's profound. Well, God, he has put his name on our hearts, and we know that he will never hand us over. He will never let us go. And that's why we should look back to our baptism. So there is huge wisdom in this surprise tactic, isn't there? Remembering who they are. The way on in the land is the same as the way in. So they're to remember their covenant relationship through a sign. Let it point to who they are and who their God is. But it's not the only surprise tactic. Before they get to Jericho, there is also a meal to prepare. That's our second point. Rejoice in God's covenant blessing through a meal. There was one moment that was in view before they'd even left Egypt, so 40 years ago, and that was this Passover meal. Back in Exodus 12, they are told as soon as they go in that they are to observe this meal. Exodus 12 says, When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he's promised, observe this ceremony. And when you ask your children, and when your children ask, What does this mean to you? What are they supposed to tell their children? It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the house of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians.
1: This meal was always coming. And verse 10 tells us it's exactly what they did. A bit like a
2: Thanksgiving meal in America, it's something built into the rhythm of the nation's life to recall who they are and what God has done for them. And there are... Particular details given right at the beginning when the Passover is, is instructed. You, you had to be circumcised, and so they, they've done that. Uh, you had to prepare it in the evening. It was supposed to happen on the 14th day of the month. And we see here in, in verse 10 that, that all those things are, are ticked. And it might sound like extra details to us, but there is a sense of reliving the drama of what has happened. I wonder if you've ever been along to a kind of murder mystery party over a meal and you get kind of given a character that you have to kind of play. There's also a sort of script that you follow and um, it, 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 you kind of inhabit the drama, don't you? And the more people get into it, the more accents they put on, the, the kind of more real it, it feels, the more kind of gruesome moaning when, when, when the kind of next person, person dies, the more you feel part of
1: the story. But it's all pretend. You're just acting. But the Passover, it doesn't need any pretending, does it?
2: It's not acting. These things are real and really happened. These people eating this food are physically alive because of what this
1: meal symbolizes. But why now? Why, why eat now? Why not just get going?
2: Well, just like getting circumcised, this meal, it's not separate from military tactics. The way into the land is the same as the way on. And as they eat this meal, they're reminded of their covenant blessings and they have time to rejoice in them. It's a reminder of God's rescue, his victory over Egypt. He can do that again. It's exactly what they need, a look back at God's track record. But also, This meal looks forward. Do you see verse 11? The next day, we see where food comes from. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. Three times, we're told where this food comes from, the land from Canaan. Imagine having eaten the same thing for 40 years. Tasting the same manner. Sort of something like out of Oliver Twist, isn't it? The beginning all we ever eat is gruel. I'm sure it was nicer than gruel. And now, something new. And not just anything new, something from the land that God had promised them. They don't need the Lord to rain anything down anymore, to provide through extraordinary means. He's providing through the land that he had promised. This is a new page in
1: Israel's history. And it was a taste of what was to come. But this meal wasn't just a one-off. It was something that we see all
2: throughout Scripture. A meal to be celebrated every year. We see it happening at particular points Under Josiah, the law is rediscovered at the end of two kings. Then God's people go into exile, and and then they return. And we see another Passover meal in Ezra. And after hundreds of years of waiting, it's acted out again. But this time, not with a lamb, but with a man. Jesus, the Son of God. The Passover meal was an old covenant meal celebrating old covenant blessings but it points forward to the new covenant equivalent, the Lord's Supper, where we celebrate the new covenant blessings of the Lord Jesus. And we don't celebrate because we have a land to conquer, but because it is part of God's tactics for sustaining us to serve him faithfully in this world. And the Lord's Supper is one of the most precious gifts he has given the church. Like Passover, it points us back. It calls us to remember, remember deliverance. How did we get here? Not the substitutionary death of a lamb, but the death of Jesus in our place. His body broken, symbolized in the bread torn, his blood shed in the wine that we drink. And as we drink the cup, remember Jesus drank all the cup of God's wrath for us. It points us back, but it also looks forward the day when we will feast with Jesus personally in the new creation, when we will feast in the house of Zion and weep no more as we were singing. We will feast somewhere even better than the land of Canaan. When we eat that meal, that is the truth, the future that we are pointing forward to. Each time we have the Lord's Supper, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Each time we have the Lord's Supper, we remember The meal is hosted not by Johnny, not by me, but by the Lord Jesus. And as we eat and drink by faith, he is strengthening us for our journey home. We're reminded of all of the
1: covenant blessings that we have. Assurance, forgiveness, adoption. The list goes on. We don't move on from the Lord's Supper because we don't move on from the Lord Jesus. God gave his people more
2: than circumcision and Passover to sustain them. He's given them his word and his promises. They've seen his mighty deeds. But these signs are important at this point, and they are built into the fabric of God's people, even into their very bodies. So they would know that the way on is the same as the way in. And for us, God's given us more than baptism and the Lord's Supper to bring us to Christ. We have the preaching of God's word, But he's put baptism and the Lord's Supper into the fabric of our life for our goods as well. Which is why we must continue at enjoying them. And we would be missing out if we didn't. Just think back three years ago when everything went into lockdown. We had months and months of not meeting together, and part of that meant not having baptisms or not having the Lord's Supper. I guess a big question to ask is how much did we miss those things in particular?
1: How much did we miss those things in particular? Probably not enough. Probably not enough.
2: But they are a precious gift to enjoy, which is why we have the Lord's Supper every month. Why we do baptisms as much as we can in the Lord's kindness. They are part of God's tactics for keeping us going. And they might not be extraordinary in the eyes of the world, but alongside the preaching of the word, which also doesn't look particularly extraordinary, God keeps us going until glory. Sinclair Ferguson is a a theologian, a a pastor, um, and uh, he wrote this. Would you not get a different or a better Christ in the sacraments, that's the Lord's Supper and baptism. We don't get a better Christ than we do in the word, but we may get the same Christ better in in a fuller way with a firmer grasp of his grace through seeing, touching, feeling, and tasting as well as hearing. So month by month, Year by year, this is a precious way that the Lord sustains us and keeps us home. So let's remember that the way on is the same as the way in. And let's be praying that the Lord would would
1: be sustaining us and helping us to keep trusting that. Let's take a moment and we'll come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you
2: that in this passage we see the most precious thing, the most helpful thing that these Israelites could do before all that lay ahead of them was to renew their relationship with you, was to bear your covenant sign and to enjoy your covenant meal and celebrate in all the blessings that come with that, to know that they belong to you and to know that you are Lord over their past and their future. Lord, whatever um, lies ahead of us this week, this month, this year, we pray that you would help us to remember the same truths, that we belong to you, to look to the sign that you have given us and be reminded of all that is ours in Christ. We thank you for being able to enjoy the Lord's Supper together as a church so frequently. And we pray that that would strengthen us in our walk with you
1: and be food for the journey home. In Jesus' name, amen.